Welcome to another episode of the official DigiMarkCon podcast. Here's some of the latest top-voted keynotes, panels, and masterclasses from recent DigiMarkCon digital marketing, media, and advertising conferences worldwide. Get ready to gain insight into emerging strategies, the latest trends, and best practices from industry thought leaders and experts to move your business, brand, or agency to the next level. Um, so for my sins, um, I am in academia. I used to be in industry, um, and I actually find that I have more time to reflect <laughs> on some of the things that we used to do. Um, and what I'm taking you through today is a small piece of what I did in my PhD, which I submitted yesterday for examination. <laughs> so. <laughs> We'll see how that goes and whether they think there's anything of value. So the examiners and God must work together. Um, so just a bit of background on me. I um, came up through Microsoft, did marketing, and then went into Glue. I like the digital advertising space and all of that stuff. And then I thought, mm, there's a missing piece. The people we get in are not quite ready for what we do. So let me go back to academia, because I think maybe there's something there. Um, and it's been an interesting journey. I don't think I'm winning. I'm kind of swimming against the tide. Um, but part of this work is then was uh, funded by the NRF, so I have to give them their kudos. And that's just me. So my study was looking at um, people moving in different contexts and how they represent their identity as they change. And what I looked at was online versus offline. So while I was working in digital, I thought it's very interesting that people behave differently online versus when you see them in person. And yes, it's taken four years <laughs> to kind of work through that curiosity. Um, but what I present today is not the whole thing because as you'll see, um, it's, it's long and complicated, but I'll take you through some of the stuff. So if we think back 10 years ago, there was literally maybe only three main social media sites, give or take, that were mainstream. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And Twitter was struggling for numbers and attention. Nobody understood what it did. Facebook was eating, was eating this industry. Um, and even at the time where data was expensive, it was a big thing where corporates were wondering, should we allow people to even be able to access social media at work? These were the conversations that were happening. It was a very interesting time. Um, and people blocking social media and all of that other stuff, not forgetting that at some point the tech would catch up and now we just use our phones and we sit at our desks. Um, and at that point, the connectivity rates were about 20, 25, 30%. There was not much going on 10, 10 years ago, so a lot has changed. So my research, I looked at specific individuals. I looked at 11 individuals, and I interviewed them, which is a hell of a lot of work, and I analyzed their Facebook. I went back as far as Facebook, um, and then I interviewed people that were in their circles to try and figure out how is it people are representing themselves online versus in person. And that's why it's detailed and complicated. But the piece that I'll really be talking about is the Facebook piece today. Um, and of all my, so that's just most of it. A lot of the stuff, 
And we used Facebook because we had a bit of a fundamental challenge between me and my supervisor. She was like, don't use that social media, just use Facebook. She's 60. I was like, okay, I concede, we'll use Facebook. I don't think it's the right one, but okay. Um, and I suppose some of the data has vindicated that, um, but that's the reason why Facebook. So if anybody's wondering why Facebook, okay. Um, so I looked at eight people's Facebook pages and went back and look, don't ever do this. This is the most harrowing piece of work. The person who had been on the earliest had been my second person and they'd been on Facebook since 2006. The kind of latest person has been on Facebook for nine years. So I had to analyze each individual person from the time they started on Facebook up until September 2018. It's just that I don't like Facebook. I don't log into Facebook often enough. And my gosh, I think Facebook was very excited to have me for the time I was analyzing this data. And so sequentially, in terms of how I went about it, this was it. The first person was 2010, and actually, on average, people had been on Facebook for as long as Facebook had been around, give or take. Um, so it's interesting, all of them are active, and that was one of the key criteria for them to participate in the study. You had to be, have some university education, you had to be on Facebook specifically, um, and be an active user according to Facebook's um, definition which interestingly, when I looked at the time, had changed from what they had been saying an, an active user is. Now an active user on Facebook is somebody who logs in once a month. Is that really an active user? That makes me an active user. I don't do much. I don't think I've posted anything in a long time. So it's interesting that that's changed over time because I think maybe two, three years ago, when, we were lo when I was looking at the numbers, what Facebook was defining as an active user has changed. So we're also moving the goalposts in terms of how we are being sold these products, these social media, etc. Um, and one of my respondents in her interview said, yeah, and I asked, okay, so how do you keep in touch with people? So these are people who are so we call them, they call them self-initiating expatriates, so people that have moved to South Africa for professional, professional um, gain and advantage who are not originally born in South Africa. So I don't want to use the term foreigners, but people who are not born in South Africa and have moved here for specific things and have done so voluntarily. And she said, so I said, okay, well, how do you keep in touch with your entire network? It's vast, it's global. How do you make sure that people stay in touch with you? okay, no, I use this, I use that. Um, and she said, actually, it's a pity because, you know, Facebook used to be such a wonderful thing. But now with social media fragmentation, and I was like, okay, she's in the industry. So I was like, okay, that's an interesting term of fragmentation. I've never heard that before. And she went on to explain that actually because there's so many new social media, Every single new media, new social media is competing for the same attention. So the number is not growing. And she just felt that less and less people are on Facebook and you can't really pinpoint where everyone is because everyone is everywhere. And ultimately it just dissuades her from being on social media because then she feels like it's extra work. And this was participant number four. 
And then this theme just kept coming up. People don't like to be, have their attention divided. And Facebook used to be convenient because everyone was on Facebook and you spoke to everyone on the same platform. Um, and ultimately, all of them were saying it was really nice. It was, it was interesting, it was like a nostalgic moment. So my participants were between the ages of 25 to 38. All of them spoke about it as a nostalgic moment. Oh, it used to be great. Facebook used to be amazing. Why was it amazing? It was really amazing because you could keep in touch with people, you could see their lives, and you didn't really have to always be on them or be in touch or, you know. So there was a social motivation to stay somehow connected. And that's what was the magic of Facebook. If you think before there was Facebook, there wasn't that. You were using an email to, to get hold of someone. You were directly contacting someone. And now someone could voluntarily share their life. And you'd be like, oh, they've gone skiing on a trip. The next time you have a conversation, you can have a conversation about how was your ski trip without having a long, drawn-out you know, love letter about how was your ski trip, what happened, and, and people trying to keep everybody in touch in their network, especially when they're far away from them. And so the more social media we add and the less centralization, people have felt that actually what's happening is that they're feeling a lot less connected to people. So what social media, what was the magic of social media has now become the enemy of social media. The more they are, the more connected we are, the quicker the connectivity is, the less people want to do it. Because actually they feel that the engagement is no longer as authentic as what they had before. And ultimately, and it was interesting for me because from 25 to 38, all of them had diminishing use of Facebook. When I looked at their, when I looked at their pages, um, it started out people sharing almost every part of their lives. Where they're going for dinner, oh, I'm coming home, let's hook up, oh, we're gonna go for dinner here, sharing their itineraries, sharing their email addresses, sharing their mobile phone numbers, sharing such intimate details on the wall because there wasn't even a private space. There wasn't even a Facebook messenger at the time. There wasn't an inbox. And they were sharing this stuff with their people. Oh, I didn't realize you had moved. Yeah, we moved at this time. We're living here. All this stuff, right? I was like, do people know that their information is still online, number one, and that their real mobile phone is still online with people that they're with? Um, but as the timeline came closer to 2018, September. There are some people who for a whole year had nothing, except the thank you for the, face, for the, for the birthday wishes. That's it. Most people was thank you for the birthday wishes, oh, so and so tagged you. That was it. That across the board, in such a great, I mean, it's a generational divide between a 25-year-old and a 38-year-old. All of them had this trend where they just had reduced had to choose funding. And so somehow Facebook's lost its relevance. One of the respondents was, I've grown out of Facebook as a platform. Some people don't update Facebook anymore, so there's no incentive for me to update Facebook. The, the fragmentation which I spoke about, that there are just too many social media 
to keep in touch and keep up with what's happening, what's new, what's happening. The one lady said, I know Snapchat is a big thing in America, and, and she's, Amer she's American. She's like, I don't get it. She's 28, she's not really that old. Um, and interestingly for me enough, is the growth of WhatsApp as, as rec being recognized as a social media. People were calling it a social media. It's like, oh yeah, we keep in touch, we use social media. Oh, what social media do you use? WhatsApp. And the multiplicity of uses that WhatsApp gives them, as well as the privacy. So the, the big thing was the tie strength. So how strong is your relationship in terms of keeping in touch? That was a big thing. And then the frequency of the updates was a big thing in terms of it's just too much work to keep up. And so the issues for social media users out of my, my research is trust, trusting the platform, trusting that your data is where it should be, and related to that, privacy. One person said, I like being on WhatsApp because then nobody can follow me and follow my habits. Um, and a lot of the discussion today has been about AI, how do we follow, how do we make sure, how do we remarket and blah, 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 blah. We're talking about it, right? We're thinking about it from our perspective. And the more we chase the consumer, the harder they run. They're running away. Um, and the tie strength, I actually use social media to build and keep my connections going, my personal and intimate connections, and ultimately connecting with people differently. So these are some of the issues that has them thinking about how to consume Facebook, how to consume primarily Facebook, but mostly social media differently. And if you look, WhatsApp does a lot of these things because it locks a lot of people out. So now what? Because it's all doom and gloom that I've spoken about. Oh, they're diminishing, people are running away. Um, but it's not really doom, doom and gloom because people are using social media. One of the main things is that every single person was using social media. They were just using the private parts of social media. They were using the messenger, they were locking their accounts, they were limiting the number of people who they interact with. So it's really about why are people using social media? And I think as marketers and digital, digital communication specialists, whether we're in design, wherever we are um, on the spectrum, we've really got to think about the motivations of why people use the social media. Um, and understand their desires and their motivations. What do they want to get out of this engagement? Why is it convenient? One person said, who was a network member said, I've never spoken to main participant before in a normal phone call. We only use WhatsApp. We use WhatsApp call, we use WhatsApp video. It's a different use of the technology. It's still a phone call. But that motivation is to keep in touch and it's convenient because everything is centralized you're able to then have a conversation. So people do want to share their lives, believe it or not. It's not just about the Insta life. People do want to share their life. They want to, beyond showing off and the hashtag blessed and grateful, etc. trends that are going on. Um, they want to share their lives and they want a private space to do so. I want this quiet corner to be able to share the most intimate parts of themselves with a small number of people so that they also don't have to repeat the stories. Um, and do so frequently, but without the scrutiny of people going, oh, okay, so you bought a baby seat, which means you're probably having a baby. Now there's a special and there's a, and there's a Baba Indaba coming up, et cetera, et cetera. So they want to be able to be in charge in terms of their online consumption. And I guess the question for me is, 
How do we reach these people online that desire for us to reach them less and less? They don't want us to be able to reach them. And I think a lot of it ties into what has been said a lot. It's about being relevant. Um, understand the mindset of who we're talking to. And part of that is investing in understanding who our audiences are. Gaining the trust. We haven't done this enough. This is not a good enough job. We already assume that because people are online, they want to hear from us, we, that we already have a relationship. This is almost virtually harassment. It's virtual harassment. So we need to gain the trust of people. And it's something that was also said in terms of point three, tell stories. The fact that Jay showed a video that's on WhatsApp and is probably making the rounds, somebody's telling a story. Somebody's sharing that. And what are our motivations? For more people to see our stuff on their terms and share it the way they want, or we want to be able to box them so we can do the data analytics and then find out and then be able to remarket, et cetera. And while those things are all important, um, we've also got to really balance it against what it is people are trying to get. Are we entertaining them? Are we telling them a story that's compelling enough that they want to share? And that goes to number four. Make it shareable. This thing of locking people in, oh, it's, you can't share it unless you give me your email address, and then we have an exchange. Make your content shareable. Part of it is not making a five-minute video. We know what the issue is with data. So there was a question about whether you make the platform suit the content or vice versa. Make the content suit the user. What are you trying to get them to do? So that's the thing. Because if you want them to share and carry on and this content to go around, make it easy. Make it easy for people to share. That's how GIFs became a real thing. People then were able to create their own. You're able to create your own and do all of that. Nobody's claiming ownership of having made the first GIF. It's just shareable content. And so, really, it's not, there's no solution, there's no big bang. Um, my study's title was a comparison of social representations of identity online versus offline. So it really was just an exploratory discussion. There was no conclusion, there was no solution, just a model which is neither here nor there. But I think in terms of the content today and what we've heard over the last few days, I just wanted to share some of those insights in terms of what's the real nitty-gritty data around the people we're using. And of course, take it with a pinch of salt because I only spoke to 11 people of a specific type. Um, but I think maybe, hopefully, I plant the seed that perhaps when you go back, you maybe question who you're talking to and whether that platform is suitable or is it really about the content that you're trying to share. What is it you're trying to do? What is that motivation in terms of being able to connect to people on social media who on their own are just trying to connect to their own people? And that's me. Hi. Hi. So congratulations on submitting. Thank you. Uh, I think I should call you doctor because I know you're past. So. Not until I'm conferred, otherwise <laughs> I, become a vi I become in violation of university yeah. code. <laughs> Thank <an> you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my question is, I mean, I've been reading a lot about data and oil. Data and, what, sorry? And oil. Uh -huh. So they say data is a new oil now. Uh, it's more valuable. Some people say it's not. 
um, and more people lean towards it. So, you know, in your research, maybe have you come across something like that that proves otherwise that data is more valuable than oil? Um, I think for as long as we're driving cars, maybe data is not, unless we can pour data into our cars, um, <laughs> maybe it's not quite as commercially valuable. Um, I do think data is important. So for example, this research is powered by data. It may not be the conventional sense of data in this room, but I had to go out and find out and go and interview people and get that and troll through Facebook. It was like wading through mud. And I think it is valuable for our businesses. It has become the lifeblood of businesses, or should be. Because if we look at businesses that go bust, it's often because they lose a connection. They lose the connection with the people they're trying to reach. They lose a connection with what the fundamentals of their business is. And so in terms of commercial viability in our businesses, in our agencies, etc., then perhaps it is the oil. And it's about how, how do we explore to find new oil fields. Um, and not in terms of trying to exploit people, but finding where the value lies in terms of that data. Because we get so much data, but what is the value in that data? Sure. Thank I you. hope that answers. Yes, congratulations again. <laughs> um, I just want to find out, you, you've just touched on the digital side. Just out of interest sake, um, what were the comparisons in terms of the real life? Did, do, do you know what I mean? Uh, was that, I was, do. Did you mention it? I don't know. Was that paying attention? <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't mention it because um, let's put it this way. The, page, the, the, the document is 470 pages, um, so I didn't want to overwhelm. Um, but some of the interesting things are and this, is an, this has an implication for how we do our work, is that people are using fragmented social media for different things. So one guy happens to be an influencer, so he uses Instagram for showing off, but he actually uses WhatsApp and he uses, I think, Facebook Messenger to communicate with his people. And that is different from how he presents at work and who he allows and shares his social media with, and he actually locks his, his accounts private. So a lot of people said, okay, I'd love to close Facebook. One of them said, I'd like to close Facebook, but I actually use it for work. So the way in which I conduct myself on Facebook is different, and then my Instagram is private, but it's for my people and it's my fun page. And that's where some of the comparisons came in, is what is the person presenting as themselves, and what actually are they doing online? that's trying to manage these personas. Um, and it's a hell of a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of work. Some people are like, okay, well, we do use Instagram, but we only message each other. The Instagram posts we like and share. So it's in the private inbox. We don't actually interact openly or publicly. Um, so, and some people were, thought they were consistently the same from what they reported and what was online, but when you spoke to their third parties, people in their network, they said, oh, I know she's really stressed about this one thing that online just presents as she's happy, she's fine, she's settled. So there's some interesting things in terms of, and those things that they manage are linked to some sort of work that they're trying to do in terms of 
assuring their networks and people in their lives about certain things. Um, specifically, this group was people who had moved far away. So assuring people there's no crime in South Africa. Um, and then it turns out in the interview, she got robbed of her cell phone. So online, there's none of this stuff is not reported because you're trying to manage a certain perception, but actually on the ground, and also a lot of them, there's a, there's a one theme that came out from, their, from the network people who said they're really incredibly lonely and nobody presented that. Or not lonely, but aloneness, that they're very alone and far away from everything that's their support network. And that, very little of it came out in the interviews nor even on their Facebook pages, that they were feeling isolated and far away and not supported by their close family members and, and loved, loved ones. Thanks. So if I just make, because there's an interesting insight there. So to get the truth from someone, don't ask them directly, ask their friends. Is, is, is that what you're saying? So the, the more valuable, more insightful um, data came actually from asking their network and their friends? Is that is a correct, correct assumption? So the insight is that you need to triangulate data. Ah. So you can start with the one person because how, they, how you perceive yourself is how you behave. Mm. You, you have an idea of who you think you are and that's how you behave. But to get to some sort of truth, you've also got to find other data points to be able to just double check. So that's why the three data set points because if I had just interviewed people and looked at their Facebook, I might have gotten a very different picture from adding their network. Um, so it's also about verifying the data, finding a way to triangulate, to verify that what you have is what you really have, what you're seeing is what it really is. I hope that helps. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Okay. There are no further questions. That's me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the official DigiMarcon podcast. DigiMarcon is the largest digital marketing, media, and advertising conference and exhibition event series in the world, holding in-person and hybrid events in over 40 cities annually across 22 countries, as well as virtual events and an international cruise. Learn more about upcoming DigiMarcon events near you at digimarcon.com slash events. Thanks again for listening to the official DigiMarcon podcast.